You know Geiger's bookstore across the street? I think I may have passed. You know Geiger by sight? Geiger's in his early 40s, medium height, fattish, soft all over, Charlie Chan mustache, well-dressed, wears a black hat, affects the knowledge of antiques and hasn't any. And, oh, yes, I think his left eye is glass. Hello. 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 My name is Michael Delgado, and my guest tonight is the executive director of the Mel and Lita Ramos Family Foundation, Rochelle Leninger. Rochelle, who is also Mel's daughter, is here to talk about the Foundation's origins, its mission, and to tell us about a fantastic opportunity to purchase rare Ramos lithographs and monographs in support of the Foundation's Arts Education Initiative. As listeners of this podcast are no doubt aware, Mel Ramos is a god in the pop art pantheon, being among the first artists in the 60s to appropriate comic book imagery. Independent of Warhol and Lichtenstein, with whom he would exhibit internationally over a lengthy career, Ramos saw the power of advertising to bend minds and form tribes around idealized, unattainable versions of ourselves. Masterfully rendering colorful pinups posed with cigars and Coke bottles, Ramos' pointed critique of the objectification of women also laid bare the sexualization of the myriad unnecessary commodities that crowd our lives. Critics of Ramos have said that he delivers his satire with a wink and not a deadpan accusation, implying some complicity in sexist attitudes. Personally, I find this analysis just ill-informed. Just compare Ramos' conceptually driven paintings to the sex-as-commodity commentary in Warhol's famous Maryland screen prints. But I put the question about sexploitation to Rochelle and asked how Mel responded to the criticism. Well, he did. Yeah, he certainly recognized um, that that there were people, primarily female critics, that um, did not necessarily find the humor in his work and took it personally as right women being um, objectified and um, uh, commercialized. And but his, that was never his intention. And so I think that he acknowledged their concern, but I don't think it made him feel badly, nor did it encourage him to change his style, because he would always say he just wanted to make people laugh or smile or find joy in the work. And he painted women's primarily female nudes. Um, He just found the beauty in their bodies and and preferred actually naturally beautiful bodies. So um, he would paint their imperfections. Uh, he preferred women that had n- just natural style bodies. It, he, tr- he had trouble sometimes with the superstars that were a little altered because it was harder to paint that for him. Um, but no, he wanted to just make people um, smile. So it was never anything other than that. But he did, he was certainly aware of it. There were certainly critics that wrote things about his work that might be um, sexist, I guess it was the word that they used often. But um, that was never his intention. Based in Oakland, the Mel and Lita Ramos Family Foundation's Arts Education Initiative works to carry out the foundation's mission to transmit 
visual arts through education and public programs in order to make art accessible to all by supporting historically underserved communities in schools and nonprofit organizations. But I'll let Rochelle explain. So it started actually while my father was alive. We had the idea that we wanted to support um, some arts education programs that were actually currently going on already in Oakland. So I don't know how much you know about the East Bay up here, but there's, um, for one example, there's an art program for disabled artists. They're actually adults, and most of them have Down syndrome. Uh, and my oldest brother had Down syndrome, their first son, and so my father wanted to support a school called Creative Growth, which was um, has been going on now, I think, for probably 40 years. And so the intention was that he was going to support it financially and then also have some students come and he would mentor them in his studio here in Oakland. And that was the start of the idea of a foundation, and then he passed away. So with that, I quickly had to change our focus from him mentoring any students in his studio to just being very philanthropic in what I could do with um, his legacy and his um, uh, generous contributions to the art world. Um, so we started the foundation with the main focus that we would just try and make sure that kids primarily um, have access to arts education, and especially here in Oakland. I'm not super well-versed with the L.A. County area. I just, I've lived here my whole life, but um, my folks have lived in Oakland for 52 years, and there are certainly a disparity between the economic situation here, and there's a lot of kids in the Oakland area that don't have much in the way of um, financial means, and so we wanted to be sure that all the kids – in, in the neighborhoods, got access to arts education. I wondered where the passion for education came from and was curious if Mel had taught art himself. He did teach art. So he taught, uh, when he graduated from college, he taught high school for about six years. Um, and then he was a department chair of one of the high schools in Sacramento where he's from. And then for 33 years, he taught at Cal State, I say Cal State University Hayward. That's what it was at the time. Now it's been retitled to Cal State University East Bay. He was there from 1966 until 1997. So he taught uh, fine art. He taught painting and drawing. And I think... As an artist, it's it's difficult to make a living um, selling artwork. Um, yeah. And so he had, uh, at the time, three children and a wife, and uh, I think the teaching provided him a stable income, uh, you know, health benefits and a, pen and a pension for my mother. But I think over time, he really loved it. He, I mean, he, he just, I think he really loved encouraging younger artists and um, because he was encouraged at a young age also. So he um, was uh, at Sacramento Junior College for his first couple of years, and uh, Wayne Tebow was one of his instructors. So I think he was mentored by him, and I think that sort of started a wonderful friendship between the two of them, but... I think he appreciated how important it was to have a really great teacher that could inspire you. 
Rochelle mentioned another pop artist favorite of mine, Wayne Thiebaud, whose work is immediately recognizable. You're probably familiar with the creamy depictions of everyday objects like pie slices or gumball machines that vibrate off the canvas in masterful juxtapositions of bright colors. Rochelle gave me an update. And Wayne's still kicking, right? Wayne is going to be 100 years old on November 15th. So oh. he, yes, there's a big exhibition going to be um, opening at the Crocker Art Museum in Sacramento. Um, they have it slated for October. Now that's all dependent. They'll still they'll, they'll still do the show. I was up there last week. They'll still hang the work and they'll still have a show. It just may be smaller groups of people coming in if the museum's not all the way open yet. But their intention is that the museum should get opened here, hopefully fairly soon. But no, he is Wayne is amazing and super healthy and paints every day. Awesome. That's Great. True. Yeah. Big fan work too. Yeah. No, he's wonderful. Given her gene pool, I wondered if Rochelle also painted. So, are do you are you making art yourself? Or you... <laughs> I do not make art. I um, I prefer playing with food. So I had um, a couple restaurants for about twelve years, and I just sort of like to play with my hands that way. I think that I probably have a little bit of it in me. I, I took um, a couple art classes when I was at Berkeley, going to college, and they weren't bad. Uh, but I've just I've just always worked, and I just sort of found playing with food was my creative outlet. I'll give complete details on how you can take advantage of the opportunity to purchase books from the full Mel Ramos collection, as well as snag two signed lithographs that are generously being offered as part of a fundraising effort that A.G. Geiger is very proud to be associated with. But before we get to that, Rochelle describes the intricate printmaking process that her father employed to such perfection. My father has um, a gentleman who owns a gallery in Vienna, Austria. His name is Ernst Hilger, and he's been representing my dad for, I think, probably 30 years. And he is actually our print producer. He has a printer in a little village in Italy. Um, his name is Valerio Carini, and he's a fantastic printmaker. And so uh, they're made in Italy, and then they're shipped here, and my dad signs and numbers them, and then we ship them back to Vienna uh, where the gallery sells them. Hmm. My dad did do some, so he did some prints with Wayne Tebow uh, that they made themselves in school, and they would sell them at the Sacramento County Fair every year. <laughs> so I, they're from the early '50s, and some of them are actually quite good. Some of them are not, but I've been cataloging everything recently for a new book, and I've been looking through them, and um, they weren't bad at all. I think the process has really changed now. They're just they're, the color now is so incredibly vibrant. And so the one, the Catwoman that I gave to you, um, is just an example of how incredible this guy is with his colors. Uh, but they are they're time consuming and uh, they're expensive to make. So I think he, um, yeah, he does what he can. And we were there for a while. There we were making one edition a year. Sometimes the last couple years, like there may have been a year where we did two prints a year, but no, they're super time consuming and they're heavy and they have to get proofed every one of them and shipped back and forth because they're heavy. The paper quality is really thick and dense and um, 
they're just super high quality. Mel's fascination with superheroes was born out of a true love for comic books. And today, with movie studios benefiting from the tentpole franchises around the DC and Marvel universes, his recognition of the appeal of superheroes seems prescient. He just has an incredible collection of comic books that he had as a child. So he uh, read them, loved them, collected them. They're all in boxes in the basement of his house and um, uh, was just fascinated with comic books. And he traded people for them, too. Um, He did a little painting of a comic book hero, and he traded it to a guy for an actual comic book, uh, which my father still has and loves the comic book. But then that guy put that painting up for auction about, I don't know, five or six years ago for a lot of money. Um, And when I asked my dad about it, he's like, oh, no, I love that comic book. So for him, it was a totally fair trade. I don't know about you, but I'm always curious about the offspring of artistic genius and what their home life might have been like. Really fun, great way to grow up. I grew up around really bizarre, crazy artwork in the house, but I didn't know any different. So when I I was growing up my whole life in the front living room, was this we had a wall in the living room, and it was Andy Warhol's electric chair series. Mm Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when you're six and seven years old, you don't really know what it is. It just looks like a chair until you get a little bit older and you realize it's actually an electric chair. And then you have to explain it to your friends and they come to the house what that is is like. But we had, um, yeah, my dad was friends with Andy and um, Tom Wesselman and Roy Lichtenstein. And those people were in his life when he was younger. Cool. Yeah, that would, sounds like it sounds like you know, Dad always wanted to make people smile, and then he loved comic books, and you know, it right. must have been a fun upbringing. Um, it, very fun to grow up. It was, I mean, again, I don't know any different. I mean, I just I would come home from school, and my mom would be in the kitchen making something wonderful for dinner, and my dad was downstairs photographing some you know twenty year old knockout for his next painting, and it was just sort of the way it was. Now, but, now early. Was your mother a model? She was a model for most of his work. I think if we were to go back and look through his his collection of uh, oil paintings, she is either the face or the body of the bulk of his work. So, And today is actually uh, my mother's birthday. She would have been 85 today, so it's on a little, oh. <laughs> a little sentimental today. Um, and I was looking through some old pictures this morning, and I'm just finding these photographs. So my mother was a model when she was in her probably 18, 19, 20, right in there. And she modeled, and she did some stuff at the State Fair as well. And so um, she she was a knockout, my mother. So he was he would call her his muse, and he would would sometimes just use her body and put somebody else's head on it because he can't eventually he had to start painting somebody other than my mother's face. At times he'd make her blonde when she had really dark hair, or she'd he you know change her face with with another somebody else's face, and still, still continue to use her bottle her body. But so she would end up like a Wonder Woman, or she was. Um, I don't know if she was a model for Wonder Woman. She, I think she was a model for Phantom Lady. Oh. But he did a huge series of um, animal works. Uh, the series was called Lita and the Swan. Um, 
So she was a model for most of those. Speaking of Lita and the Ramos family life seems to be a perfect segue into the fantastic opportunity we're so excited to offer through their foundation. As I mentioned at the top of the show, the foundation's mission is to transmit visual arts through education and public programs in order to make art accessible to all by supporting historically underserved communities in schools and nonprofit organizations. I'm just thrilled that A.G. Geiger Fine Art Books has teamed with the Foundation to offer the full catalog of Ramos titles at special pricing. In addition, the Foundation has also generously offered two signed rare lithographs. The Ramos book collection includes hard-to-find editions of monographs, exhibition catalogs, and even a set of postcards that were first issued by Tashin, all spanning the impressive career of the pop art legend. The lithographs include Catwoman, which was produced by the master printmaker Valerio Carini. Full disclosure, the store receives a portion of the proceeds to cover costs. And please be aware that some of the books are available elsewhere. We do, however, encourage you to purchase through the store to benefit the educational cause. Proceeds from the sale of the Ramos books and prints will support its arts education initiative, specifically through contributions to the Los Angeles Contemporary Exhibitions Apprenticeship Program. It trains young adults in the art and museum fields. You can check out all the book titles and the prints for sale in this special fundraising effort at aggeiger.com. I urge you to take advantage of this very unique offering. You can direct any questions or request additional info directly from me at delgado at aggeiger.com. AGGeiger.com also has links where you can find out more information about the foundation as well as LACE. And you can check out LACE at welcometolace.org. Thank you so much, Michael. Appreciate it. All right. Talk to you soon. Bye. Okay. Bye-bye. A.G. Geiger Presents is produced by me, Michael Delgado, in conjunction with the Mayfair Hotel and the music and artist management company, Regime72. Check us out at MayfairLA.com, Regime72.com, and of course, A.G. Geiger.com. Thanks for listening.